preach after that song. But you can open up your Bibles to Romans 5, uh, verses 6 to to 11. Um, And I will read those for us quickly. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truths that are in this passage. Um, God, I pray that you will um, work in our hearts to understand them, um, to comprehend your love for us, um, and the magnitude of what was accomplished for us by Jesus Christ um, when he died and rose again on our behalf. So God, help me to speak clearly today. um, And God, help us to more fully understand who Jesus is, um, and and the magnitude of what he accomplished for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, John Calvin, the reformer, um, in his his second book of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, wrote about redemption. Um, But he began this book all about the redemption and the doctrine of salvation that we have Uh, with the doctrine of sin. And he did so because he believed that our understanding of our sinfulness was essential for comprehending the gospel. And this was something that was consistent throughout his theology. So in his comments, um, in his commentary on Isaiah, uh, he says, For unless we realize our own helpless misery, we shall never know how much we need the remedy which Christ brings, nor come to him with the fervent love we owe him. To know the true flavor of Christ, we must each of us carefully examine ourselves, and each must know himself condemned until he is vindicated by Christ. No one is exempt. The prophet includes all. If Christ had not brought help, the whole human race would perish. So I think that John Calvin spent a lot of time meditating on Romans 5, 6 to 8. Because Paul describes this exact situation in this passage. So here, Paul is expanding on his point in verses 1 to 5. So so let's quickly look at those because they they kind of set the context for for Paul's overall point. a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is, is very negative because it's, it's who we are. But, but that negativity results in, in, in the greatest news ever because it's, it's what God does to deal with who we, who we are. So in Romans, 1, or Romans 5, 1 to 5, Paul says, 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that's, that's key for what Paul is doing in Romans 5, 6 to 8. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So Paul states in those first five verses um, that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So I think what, what Paul is really trying to do in verses 6 to 11 um, is he wants to make clear how we can be certain of such a hope. How we can know for sure that that hope in which we stand will happen for us. And what Paul makes abundantly clear in these verses is that our hope is definitely not certain because of anything in ourselves. In fact, I think Paul puts on display the wickedness of who we are as human beings, as, as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. But what he does is he contrasts our wickedness with the love of God. And he shows us that even though we all are thoroughly corrupt, undeserving, and wicked people, God on his own accord demonstrated his love for us. And that's Paul's goal in this passage. He wants to show us that God's love makes our salvation certain. God's, God's love demonstrated in the cross of Christ makes our hope sure that we will be fully and finally saved. So this is the entire focus of the first part of our passage. So the passage is kind of split in, in three different ways, but the first is verses 6 to 8. And what we'll see in verses 6 to 8 is that despite our wickedness, God demonstrates his love for us. Paul makes clear the greatness of God's love by, by describing who we are uh, in these verses in three very negative ways. So he begins with, while we were still weak. So, so this word weak uh, can, can be used in a, in a variety of ways in the New Testament, but I, th I think here it's, it's fairly clear what he means. We, we are helpless morally. So I think the NIV translates it well. Uh, it says, when we were still powerless. We, we were utterly helpless. We were utterly powerless to do anything about our situation when Christ died for us. And it's extremely important that we grasp what this means. We were in a situation in which we were completely bound by sin and Satan. So later in Romans 6, Paul will describe how we were slaves of sin uh, in 6.17. And really, really that whole chapter is about how, how we move from being slaves of, of sin and Satan to being slaves of righteousness because of Jesus Christ. Um, and then in a different epistle in Ephesians 2.1, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. 
So, so that's, that's what weakness means. When, when we are enslaved, there's, there's nothing or, or at least very little we can do to free ourselves from that situation. We are, we are powerless. And our situation is worse than slavery because Paul says in, Romans, or in Ephesians 2.1 that we are dead in our sins. There is nothing we can do to free ourselves. So let's be very clear about this. You and I did nothing, can do nothing, and we still do nothing to earn the love of God. And apart from his great love, which we're going to look at shortly, we are all trapped with no hope in the world, as Paul says later in Ephesians 2. And this is the wonderful thing about our God is that he didn't wait for us to be able to help ourselves. It was while we were still weak, Christ died for us. While we were still in that powerless position, he died for us. So I think that's what Paul means when he says that at, at the right time, it was at the appropriate time, it was when we were in the time of greatest need. Paul talks about it in Galatians as the the fullness of time has come. But Paul, in describing us, doesn't stop at us just being powerless or with us just being weak. And I I think this is a really important point because it's, it's not that we were desperately trying to get ourselves out of this bondage to sin. It's not that we have this innate goodness and godliness and we're just trapped by this force that we can't set ourselves free from, but we're, but we're grasping and trying to get free from this bondage to sin and Satan. Paul says that apart from the work of Christ, we are ungodly. That's who Christ died for. Christ died for the ungodly. So, as should be obvious, this word is used in a wholly negative way throughout the New Testament. It's often used to describe those who will be judged and destroyed, especially in 2 Peter. Uh, so 2 Peter 2.5, uh, it's used to describe those who died in the flood uh, and the judgment that was passed on on them. Uh, then in the next verse, 2 Peter 2.6, it says that Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. So, so these two acts of of greatest judgment in the Old Testament are the examples that are used to say this is the judgment that's coming for those who are ungodly. And then in 2 Peter 3, 7, it says, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So, obviously, The fact that we are described as ungodly means we are in a terrible, terrible position. We are deserving of judgment and destruction. Douglas Moo actually translates it as godless. That's that's who we are apart from Christ, is godless. So, So... we have, we have no desire for him. Paul's later in this passage going to describe us as his enemies. We are totally anti-God. But the gravity of our situation puts on display 
the wondrous love of God. Because let's, let's look at how Paul uses the word ungodly one other place in Romans. In Romans 4, 5, he says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So this is where the love of God in Christ becomes so apparent. Because in Romans 4, 5, and in 5, 6, Paul shows us that Christ died for the ungodly, and through that death, he justifies the ungodly. And that is awesome news. So he be, Paul, Paul with, in, in each of these verses, he, he shows us how, how desperately wicked we are, but how wonderful the love of God is with the death of Jesus Christ, who died for the ungodly. So Paul, in verses 7 and 8, will continue to elaborate the greatness of the love of God. And he does so by contrasting God's love with human love. So 5.7 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. So this is worded a little bit awkwardly, but I think for, for our purposes, the, the point is clear enough. Paul is saying that the, the absolute pinnacle of human love is to die for somebody we care about. We, we might, on a rare occasion, give up our lives for somebody who means a great deal for us. But God, as we see in verse 8, has a whole different level of love. God shows his love. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, Paul makes it very clear who we are apart from Christ. We are sinners. So and I think in our current culture and in the church, we probably take this word sin or sinner or being sinful way too lightly. Um, in a lot of ways, people in culture don't even really believe in sin or at least don't believe that it's really all that bad. Um, so my, Michael Bird says that sin has come to mean naughty but fun. So, so we think of like, like Las Vegas being sin city where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like that's, that's the idea that, that our culture has around sin. And I think even we in the church probably think too lightly of sin. We're way too comfortable with the fact that we are sinners and that we sin. We need a renewed angst and frustration and hatred for our sin. So I think, again, Michael Byrd is helpful in, in reference to us being too flippant with the word sin. He says, my suggest suggestion then is that we drop the language of sin and instead use the language of evil. While the word sin might have lost its shock value, the word evil has cultural currency and instantly conjures up thoughts of despicable, inhumane acts from Auschwitz to 9-11. And that's, that, that sounds so extreme, but that's the reality of who we are as sinners. We are evil. 
And I, I think, just think, like, like, if we say, like, yeah, I'm a sinner, like, that, that doesn't, like, cause a little bit of, like, tension in our heart. But if we say we are evil, that's, that's a lot more impactful. And, and I think that's the reality of what it means that we are sinners. Our hearts are so corrupt and set on wickedness that the best way just to describe it is that we are evil. But look at the goodness of God. While we were still evil, Christ died for us. And this leads us to Paul's point. He wants to show the magnitude of God's love for us. Our greatest expression of love is to die for someone we care about. Christ died for undeserving, godless, evil people. So let's pause and just think about the love of God. Even though we were completely anti-God, we were totally depraved. Evil filled our hearts. We had no desire for him. God, who is love, showed us that love by having his only son, Jesus Christ, die on our behalf and in our place. We saw in 2 Peter the destiny of the ungodly. It was destruction. But because of the magnitude of God's love for us, Christ was destroyed in our place. And that love, I don't think, can be comprehended by us. So, despite our wickedness, God showed his love for us in the cross of Christ. And that, that love of God displayed in the cross lays the foundation of the certainty of our hope. And that's where Paul's going to next in verses 9 to 10. So we'll, we'll see that, that despite our wickedness, which is still present, our hope is certain. He describes what was accomplished in the death of Christ in order to make certain our hope of salvation. So I think what Paul does in these verses is he actually unpacks what he already said in 5.1, where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 9, Paul revisits our justification, and in verse 10, he, he expands on our, our reconciliation or our peace with God. So in verse 9, uh, Paul says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we who are weak, ungodly, evil people have been declared to be righteous. That's what it means that we are justified. And this has been a recurring topic over the last few chapters of Romans, since Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, 23 and 24 say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 5 say, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
And then lastly, 4.23 to 25, it says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. So this justification, us being declared righteous, is accomplished by the blood of Christ. It's his sacrificial death that brings us justification. So let's look at what his argument is, because that's, that's what makes Paul's point clear throughout this whole passage. He's saying that because of Christ's death, we were and we currently are, we stand justified. So if God can accomplish that seemingly impossible task of justifying those who are evil, wicked sinners... Then, then certainly those who are already justified, he can save. He can bring a full and final salvation to them. So, so God will certainly completely save those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have that faith counted to them as righteousness, who stand justified because of the blood of Jesus. So if you have believed in Jesus and put your faith in him, then it is counted to you as righteousness. So you now stand justified. Even though these descriptions that Paul gave already in this passage are are true of us, we stand justified before the Almighty God. So our hope of being saved from God's wrath, that's the language he uses in this verse is certain. So all of the destruction that was put on the ungodly in 2 Peter, all of that is put on Jesus instead of us because we stand justified. Jesus bore the wrath of God for our evil. So we can be certain that we will not face the wrath of God. And the good news of what Christ accomplished goes well beyond our justification and I think is almost more amazing. In 510, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So here, Paul gives the final description in this passage of our wickedness. He has said that we are helpless, we are godless, that we are evil, and now he says that we are enemies of God. So if you look at the history of humanity from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, we have literally been spiraling out of control. Um, Immediately after that sin, you have the story of Cain and Abel, and then all of that leads up to the flood, which obviously that that didn't go so well because everybody died except like nine people um, in the destruction of the ungodly. And then throughout the whole Old Testament, you have the, the rest of the story of Israel. And that whole story of Israel is them turning away and rebelling against God. So, so what we see, and, and like we, we rip on Israel, but like look at all the other nations. They completely abandoned God and were hostile toward him, and worshipped other gods. Like, like we, as, as humanity, what is 
most natural to us since the fall of Adam and Eve is to be God's enemies. The situation is even worse than that, though, because we're not the only hostile party. Because of our sin and our hostility toward God, God is hostile toward us. He just said that he has wrath towards the ungodly. And that's what we are saved from. And that's, like, just on a a practical level, that's why the sin that still is in our hearts, even as believers, should trouble us so much. Like, it, it causes hostility between us and God. But it's also why reconciliation is such wonderful news. You see, God doesn't just justify us, declare us righteous, and leave us in this neutral state in terms of our relationship with him. Through the work of Christ, he reconciles us to himself. In Romans 5.1, he makes peace with us. We now have peace with God. We were reconciled by the death of Jesus, and just as Jesus rose to new life, now so will we. We were saved by the resurrection life of Christ, and he always stands interceding for us before the throne of the Father. And that's, that's peace with God. And the, the truths of the, of the gospel are, just, are, are so awesome because we have peace with God. And then later in Romans 8, Paul's going to talk how, about how God actually adopts us into his family. Like, how, how amazing is that? Look at, look at how we are described in this passage. We are evil people. And God adopts us because of nothing that we did. The gospel truly is good news. So, clearly, God has unleashed his love on the world. He has shown us that the love and the death of Jesus Christ and all that it has accomplished. And this this guarantees our much-needed salvation we shall be fully and finally and completely saved from the wrath of God. So we, if, we, if we have put our faith in Christ, we do not have to fear judgment. So while that salvation won't be fully realized in, until the future, in verse 11, Paul transitions very quickly to tell us what our present reaction should be. He says... More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So not only will we be saved, but we presently, as the NIV translates it, which I think is actually better, we presently boast in God. So we ought to boast in, pride ourselves in, glory in, and brag about God. We should be making known the love of God for us. So, let us be people who meditate on these truths. 
contemplate, and I, I really think this is important, but these things need to be done in, in balance. We need to contemplate our sinful and evil state apart from Christ. And we need to recognize the plight of our situation. But then, all the more aggressively, dwell on the love of God as it's displayed in the death of Jesus Christ. Dwell on how marvelous it is that a righteous and holy God would love an evil enemy. That he would declare that enemy to be righteous, and not only that, that he would make peace with that enemy. We who were once estranged and hostile to God have been brought near to him through the reconciling work of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Um, God, will you make it um, clearer in our hearts um, the depth and the, the bigness and the greatness of that love and what it is you accomplished. God, let us rest in um, and just fully know the, the love of Jesus Christ, especially during this Easter season. God, help us this week to uh, reflect on these things um, and be more enamored with our Savior. Every day and through every monotonous task that we do, God, let us be full of joy because of what Christ has done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.